Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. This is now episode four of the off-season walkthrough tour. This episode took us all the way out to the University of Windsor where we sat down with some of their playmakers there. So let's jump right into the episode. CJ Church, offensive lineman, University of Windsor. Corvalin, defensive back, University of Windsor. Alex Borne, wide receiver, University of Windsor. Crystal Zacusi, receiver at the University of Windsor. You're listening to At the 55. At the 55. At the 55. At the 55. So for our first interview at Windsor, we sat down with veteran offensive lineman CJ Church, as well as second-year defensive back Culver Lind. Interesting dynamic talking with these two guys, getting a perspective of a veteran on the offensive side of the ball, as well as a young guy in Cole on the defensive side of the ball who missed a lot of last year due to injury. Uh, so a lot of good things in that episode, in this interview, so let's jump right into it. We are here at the University of Windsor, sitting down with offensive lineman CJ Church, defensive back Culver Lind. Guys, thank you so much for joining us here today. How's thanks, the thanks for having us. Well, thank you for having us. So far, how's the offseason going, guys? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, I was injured for the regular season, so I'm actually fully working out with the team now. So we do five workouts in the morning every day, and it's just good to get back with the boys and, like, working out again. I mean, uh, for me, uh, like, I think this offseason is honestly, like, in my past four years has been the best offseason I've seen so far. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen, like, a Lancer team work this hard we're actually like put this amount of time in and like I'm really excited to see what's going on next year. So CJ, I want to start with you cuz you're from the Essex region, right? Yes. So we see, you know, growing up we played both of us played OVFL. Essex mm-hmm. Ravens was always a very competitive team mm-hmm. and there've been competitive Windsor teams over the years. Of course, you know, the Austin Kennedy years were very good here and there's been strong teams. But much like we see in the Toronto area where Dakota and I are both from, the local schools sometimes have a problem keeping the guys in the area, whether it's U of T or York, keeping guys from going out to some of the other schools. And it seems similarly with some of the Windsor area guys, the Essex region, sometimes you see London might poach them or they might be heading a little further out. As a local guy, how important was it making your decision to come to Windsor? And I guess as a sort of sales pitch to other guys from the area, you know, why do you think it's so important to be able to stay here and be able to support well, the school. I think what the misconception really was, was if I signed at Windsor, I'm never going to win. And uh, I feel like now, like, there's a new culture. There's a new sort of uh, – I don't really know how to explain it. But the how people view Windsor is not a losing team anymore. It is an up-and-coming team, right? So I see, like, right away, like, this year, we didn't lose one significant Windsor kid. Like, we signed them all, right? And – that's like with coach JP coming here that's a huge thing um yeah we did lose a few guys but mainly it's because they're like why would I go there and my sort of perception of why I would come here is because don't you want to make your hometown your city the city that wins right why would you go to another school another team and make them win when you can change the culture in your own hometown in your own city like where you were born and raised right and that's why I came to Windsor to try and turn things around because I was just, I just was sick of the whole you know if you go to Windsor you're never gonna win I mean as a Toronto kid I wish more people thought like that in Toronto it's unfortunate <laughs> seeing them leave the city you guys are talking about the the culture change though can you speak a little more on that because obviously the Cercellis came in here coming from Western um, you know it's sad to see them go for me at least but <laughs> great for you guys you know we had Windsor pegged and Queen pegged as kind of like look out for them in you know the two to three year bracket and you kind of already saw that going into the 2019 season. So if you guys could touch just a little more on what they kind of bring to the table. Well, uh, like a big thing that Coach Roselli always talks about is the Lancer way. And it's just, it's not just football. It's about everything in life. It's being, being a man, being, uh, you know, polite, treating everyone with the same respect. And he's just brought that whole, you know, I guess I'm not really supposed to swear or whatever. <laughs> The uh, I don't give a shit attitude. He got he got that. He's getting that out of the door, and that's what we needed. Like too many guys that were on this team that just were happy just being here and not wanting to push for something more. Just happy being that varsity athlete. Exactly having that little label like, on you. Yeah. Exactly wearing the wearing the jacket in the stands. Like ooh, there's too many people that are happy with that. And like with this new culture, like everybody wants to compete all the time. And that's the big change I see. Mm. I mean, yeah. And personally, I found that like the biggest two things are like. They're building like better character men 
and work ethic. They brought a very strong work ethic in, especially coming from Western with a winning program. They have that in their DNA, and that's what they've brought to us is like he talked about competing. Like we're bringing, we're trying to bring more people onto our rosters, so our practices are more competitive. Everything's more competitive, so we compete for spots, and no jobs are safe. Basically, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's fair. You know, Western always pushes your players. So you guys can poach our coaches. Just <laughs> yeah. that's why. Yeah. So, Cole, you, you'd mentioned uh, when we were talking about coming off the injury and having to miss most of this last season, and then the year before, of course, you go all rookie. So just talk a little bit about your sort of introduction to the league where you have this great start to your career, you have the injury, and as you said, you're, you're bouncing back now, starting to train with the team again, but how's it been so far, like with the sort of from a, a mental standpoint, having to deal with those ups and downs? I mean, going into this 2019 year, like the beginning of training camp, I was really excited. I was, you know, I, I was really prepared to like take a dominant impact on the team. And then I tore my knee three days in the training camp, so it was a... Uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. Like mentally, I was up and down throughout the season. Like I was pretty down on myself just because I wasn't out there playing with my teammates and like I couldn't do anything to help them. So I mean, coming into next year, I kind of want to just like put this whole season behind me and like kind of forget about it and just kind of look forward and like prepare myself for next year. Are there any like lessons you talked about spending a lot of time in the booth? You know, getting another vantage point from the game. Uh, as far as just silver linings go, are there certain things that you're taking away from the year on the sideline or on the booth, so to speak, that do you think will help you coming back to the field this upcoming season? Yeah, definitely. Because I spent, uh, I was in the booth with our DB coach, uh, Coach Brown, and just like hearing his insights and like seeing it from the bird's eye view, you can definitely, you definitely learn a lot more about the game and through practice and stuff, being with the coaches and just like observing, getting my technique down. So it was like, yeah, I did learn a lot this year mentally for the game that will help me next year. So now getting back to the, uh, the topic of just Windsor as a university, as a program, as a whole. Of course, a local product. And Cole, if I'm correct, you come from like the new market area, right? Or, yeah, I do, yeah. So I'm curious what the effect is, if any, for in terms of the proximity to the U.S. with Detroit. Does that play into a factor with guys here? Like, do you guys take advantage of that at all? Is that fun for you? Uh, yeah, so like typically uh, we actually sign an, like one or two Americans like every year or so. Um, they don't always pan out. I mean, uh, sometimes they just come over here and they just take advantage of like <laughs> the opportunity, and then they yeah. uh, they take off. But there are definitely a couple guys that stick around. Like you know, a one off the top of my head is Tristan Carter. Uh, like he's been around for like you know I think three years now, and like he's a starting wide receiver on our team. He's a contributor, and like that's huge right there. Like you know, just a kid that we got from Virginia, just out of nowhere, and he's helping us out a lot. So like. We do uh, we do try to take advantage of it as much as we can. We're always bringing recruits over here. It's as the big problem is keeping them here. Yeah, yeah, that's the main issue. But bringing them over here, we're we're doing like everything we can to touch that. Yeah, and now like uh, especially with like JP and stuff, they've put a lot of resources into recruiting in the states. And we have we had a, a summer intern here, Nate Vikla, who also played on our team. He did a lot of recruiting in this in Michigan. This thing, trying to get more players who fall through the cracks at D1 who can come over here and make an impact right away and just try and bring them here. Now, once again, something we kind of talked about a little bit before we started recording um, and a little bit more uh, pertinent for you as an offensive lineman, but what was it like um, going back now to uh, the CFL draft from 2019, seeing your teammate Drew Dejarlai get picked? Was it seventh? In, uh, it was actually, it's fourth overall. Was it fourth? Okay. Yeah. Um, what kind of impact did that have for the team? And then, of course, for you specifically having played next to him, um, what, what was the energy like and what, what was it like seeing him get to raise the great cup at the end of the year? Well, uh, it, it was honestly, it was pretty cool because like uh, not only like did I play with Drew here at Windsor, I've been playing uh, football with Drew since we were like in grade seven back in our Essex Ravens days. And, you know, we're pretty good friends. So just to see like one of my close buddies get to go from one and seven to like raising a great cup is just <laughs> it's. It makes you feel like, uh, you know, maybe you could do it. Anything's day, possible. Know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, like, so uh, in his last year, like, because he was injured and stuff, like, he was kind of rehabbing a lot as opposed to being with the team. So um, some of the, like, rookies from last year didn't really get a lot of the what Drew really is. Right. Like, because uh, realistically he only spent, like, the last four or five weeks being, like, day in, day out, practicing in games and all that stuff. And then – Obviously, like, once he finished his season, he was training for the combine and stuff, so he yeah. wasn't around, like, in our morning workouts. So, I mean, it's definitely, like, it's a good thing for our team to see that 
you know, if you push yourself, you can do this too. But, uh, like, I think it, it left nothing but a positive impact on our team, seeing him go and do that. And did you get much time, and obviously CJ talked about with him being injured in, in, in your first year, maybe not getting as much uh, time to, to get to know him, but did he have any impact on you as a player or just as a person in general? I didn't really have much relationship with him as he was just, as Churchy said, that I uh, he was gone most of the year, and then when he did come back, he was basically with the old lineman all the time, so... He's not a very vocal guy. He's a lot of he shows through his actions, which you can see Classic on the field. Classic offensive lineman. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was he wasn't the loudest guy, so he didn't really talk as much in the locker room. But so I didn't really have much relationship with him. So one of the things that we've been doing with these interviews, it's been a lot of fun. Is you know we obviously talk to you guys about your team and how's the outlook for the coming year. But it's also great to get your take on some of the other teams in the league, or perhaps just individual players that. Obviously, you missed this past year, but maybe going back uh, another year prior, guys that you really like competing against or maybe guys that uh, get under your skin a little bit or talk yeah. a little that smack um, or just guys that, you know, at one offensive lineman to another who, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're checking the tape and be like, damn, that guy's, you know, you're, you're watching to keep tabs on or, or another defensive back that you're like, wow, I got to learn how to do that maneuver or whatever it might be. Uh, any guys around the league or any teams in general that you guys enjoy watching? Uh, yeah, so, like, I played Team Ontario when I was in high school, so, like, I know a lot of guys are, like, across the league just at different schools. Um, two guys, like, or two guys that specifically come to my mind are uh, Cam Lawson from Queens. Like, oh, yeah. we played uh, Team Ontario together, and, man, like, he's a good he's a good football player, man. <laughs> like, uh, when, uh, when we were driving up to Queens to go play him, I was – like telling myself, like I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, and you get out on the field, and you're like, oh boy, this is a lot harder than you <laughs> thought it was. And uh, another guy, just like you said, offensive lineman, offensive lineman, uh, Jacob Zott, like uh, from McMaster. Me and him played next to each other down in Texas, and like we always keep in touch, make sure we're always doing okay, and talking to each other. And like these guys both got the combine coming up, so I'm hoping you know. Yeah, we actually sat down, luck. sat down with Jacob in our, our nice. week two for McMaster. Awesome. I mean, personally, I came, so I played for York Region Lions. So we had quite a few players come out of that team sure, yeah, yeah. who are in the OUA now, like Talik from uh, from York, started right. corner, and then Nolan from uh, Toronto wide receiver. So, I mean, every time I play against a former teammate, I mean, it's, like, it's a competition to see who's really going to win. But, I mean, we have, we have respect for each other, and we all keep in touch. And I mean, I I personally like, like e every receiver in this league is good. So I, each week, I, I like the competition of going against them. And, I mean, it's a mutual respect thing, like, there's not much trash talking. It's just we go out, we play, and then we get our business done. <laughs> you guys are talking about mutual respect, but say that we mic'd you two up, who would you guys be going against? And you maybe hear them talking a little more. You don't have to go into specifics, but are there players you know you go against in a week to week, or maybe just teams if you don't want to expose anyone that maybe are a little louder than other well, teams? Well, uh, we have asked everyone this, so you won't be you won't be the first <laughs> one to expose see, anybody. I got a kind of a reputation. <laughs> uh, I'm not a liked player around the league. I'm I, a lot of chop locks or. A uh, little bit dirtier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, Legal like, chop. I will claw scratch anything I got to do to win. Like I, like, I will put my body on the line. I will it's win city. You yeah, exactly. You got to do. You got to do what you got to do, right? And uh, <laughs> like, I've uh, I've lost some friendships and uh, broken some, you know, mutual respect <laughs> between people just because I refuse to play clean a little bit. You know, but uh, so like, every game there's always one or two guys that just can't stand me, and then we get into it. But Changes week to week, you know. So, so we actually sat down with uh, Guelph last week with mm -hmm. a D lineman, um, Elaine, uh, Tavius, and AJ. Yeah. Are they are they a tough bone to go against? Well, uh, yeah. So the the one guy, uh, oh, man, I don't remember their like which what his name is. Uh, Ninety nine. What's his name? Oh, big um, man, Campbell, right? Or I think so. I don't know. Long curly hair. That oh. dude. It might be Tavius. Ninety seven, maybe that'd be Tavius. The he's tall. If he was, no, no, if he was like, six, the big eight. nose, big nose in the middle. Oh, okay. oh, I think that's Campbell. But yeah, maybe I don't know. I'm, we didn't play Guelph this year, so like I didn't really. Uh, oh wait, what am I saying? Greg Corfield. Corfield. That's who. That's I played exactly. with Corfield. Yeah, Jeez, yeah. Louise. That's exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. So, like, I play in the middle, so I don't really get to like get a lot of the DNs. We yeah. don't really get much chance to go against each other. But uh, I know him specifically. Like, man, he's a big load, and uh, like. The, just going against a, a dynamic D-line like that is always going to give you trouble because, you know, you want to try and utilize or, like, maybe push double teams onto guys that, you know, you need a little extra work on. Like I said before, like with Cam, we had to, like, switch some scheme things around to block him more than, 
yeah. say a DN. So when you get a D line like that where there's like two or three guys, it's like you just gotta, you know, uh, get the O line together and say, boys, we gotta put our heads down and get through this one. And uh, you know, that's just how it is sometimes. And not, not to take away from some of the defensive ends at, at Queens, uh, especially because we're gonna be sitting with them, mm. sitting down with some of them too. But when at the end of the year, seeing some of the sack totals that you know guys like Roy and, and uh, uh, for one, I'm forgetting the other DN's name who put up like a hell of a year. Not to take anything away, but I remember thinking like, yeah, probably a lot of that's because mm-hmm. most of the line is probably yeah. like hunkering yeah, down. Exactly. On, like on no, Boston. like no disrespect to those of guys. Course, like, yeah, their yeah. DN's are like they are good as well. They're it's just like Cam's, <laughs> Cam's a different beast, man. That's that's what it is. What, what about what about outside there though? If you were to mic me up, you would probably hear smack talk every single game. <laughs> um, but who who are you hearing on the other side when you're when you're lined up against somebody? Uh, what if team? you were to, it'd probably be against McMaster. Um, just from first year, it was uh, first year week eight. It was like hailing for uh, against McMaster, yeah. and we it was like zero zero in the first half, and the, there was a lot of run game. So the wide receivers and DBs we were battling, like blocking each other. And me and Tommy Neal were going at it. <laughs> and I think that's like, – I'm excited to go back up against him next year because, like, I respect him. He's a very good receiver. And uh, I played against him also in the, uh, the OUA passing showcase. Yeah. So we battled there too, and we do get at it. Um, I think other than that, uh, he's probably the only one that really talked back. But I, I definitely talked to all of them, trying to get in their heads a little bit. So from going – talking about years prior or former matchups let's now look forward to the upcoming 2020 season a little bit what's your guys thought for going into this year where are you guys at what's the the expectation for the Windsor Lancers of 2020 well I mean when you're an OUA football team the expectation is always you know Yates Cup then Vanier right and uh you know we don't see that any differently here right we're not trying to just win four games and make playoffs. Like, we're trying to do everything we can to win the Yates Cup, right? We're not a team that's just satisfied with winning a few games. And, like, I think that's another thing with the new culture that the Cercelli's brought in is that not being satisfied and never being comfortable with where you're at. So I, I think, like, I have a big expectations for this upcoming season, especially, like I said, because we're working so hard. And, you know, after the Cercelli's coming in and JP saying, like, I've never had a 1-7 season in my entire life at any level. So that's a they're obviously, yeah. So they're obviously doing everything they can, and yeah. like I said, I've never seen a Lancer team work this hard. So I got some, I got some big expectations for this next season. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, I'm personally excited to see like I play defensive back. So like my first year, no one who I played with really is back again, and then I didn't play this year. So it'll be interesting to see how we mesh as a unit, even as a full defense, having like some key departures like Daniel Metcalf. He probably won't be back. He'll probably stick in the CFL. And then just seeing like who the leaders will be and who will step up and like kind of take over our defense and like how we will mesh together and like and then seeing how our new guys like our new recruits will step in. I know one of our main signings this year was Aaron Maskoy, corner from Herman, and like he can easily walk in right away and start and make an impact on this team and just to see how like those guys will contribute to our team. Yeah, so I think it's it's pretty obvious at least from our point of view that Windsor's going in the right direction. Um, so I'm gonna change it a little bit because um, we're. I'm a pretty tough critic on the OUA in general mm-hmm. and not, not the caliber of play. I love it. And I couldn't say anything bad about it, but the organization of it. So for me, my biggest beef is that every game's at one o'clock. So people that want to actually see the caliber of talent, they kind of have to pick one game. And for us, it's tough because we have to watch every game and cover it. Mm-hmm. So if there is, if there's one thing that you could say to whoever runs it, like you want this to change, like maybe more coverage, better production quality. Like what, what would you want to give you guys the spotlight? Well, like, I don't know, because I, I, I kind of, like, disagree with the whole concept with what you said, but, like, I understand because, you know, you guys got to cover it. And you want to, <laughs> like, you want to watch everything, but it's, like, the same thing, like, with the NFL. They're, I feel like they're trying to just, like, own a day as opposed to... Uh, you could go two, two at one, two at four, one at seven. Yeah, like, I, I think that would be a great idea, but another thing is, I think, uh, like, some schools, it matters. I'm not a, quite sure how it works with, like making night games and stuff. Oh, I'm sure there's crazy logistics. But yeah, I'm, I'm but, but I think it. I think it's like every school chooses what time their game's at. Everyone just chooses 1 o'clock because yeah. that's when you're going to get the most people from the community to come out. Because, like, if you're at Saturday night at 7 o'clock, you know what I mean? Some people got, you know, well, I know, I know players don't. 
always yeah. want to play those games either. Yeah, exactly. Because so, like <laughs> rundown time doesn't well, change the next well, morning. I mean, yeah. I would, I'd rather play a seven o'clock on a Saturday than what was Waterloo eleven on a Thursday, eleven a.m. on yeah. a Thursday. Yeah. Oh, we that, did Laurier. Yeah. yeah so Laurier, my first year, we had an eleven a. The they're like the kids, the, the kids day, day or whatever. Oh, yeah. I would cut that out of the league right away. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. Like you get the, get the high school kids and the little kids to come watch it, but also like I don't want to play at eleven. And like, it's, a, it's a way shorter week. Ex- like the difference is for us too. Like that people don't really like take into account all the time is like pretty much any away game that isn't western is at least a three-hour drive yeah. yeah right and then like a lot of the schools like from gta and waterloo and stuff like any game they go to besides windsor or ottawa yeah. is like you know an hour away or something so it doesn't really like affect people when you're like up there but like when we have a one o'clock game like we played in mcmaster right but we had to leave here at like seven o'clock in the morning yeah like, he, i think even without the travel though just when i played my body wasn't ready to play football at 11 a.m yeah, yeah. No, like obviously, obviously chance. during summer, like you have the the two days and stuff, but then you used to one o'clock or seven o'clock, and they're like, "Oh, we're playing 11. Like, no, my body's physically not awake enough yeah. to play. Like, I have to get up three hours earlier just to prep my body for yeah. it. And sometimes it leads to weird mental decisions, like you're losing a game and you don't realize you should actually lose by 16 points, and then you don't miss make the playoffs. And that's, yeah. that's, that's a bit of a tangent on a. You, you can dive into that. I think that's more your corner. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but before we get into your, your <laughs> suggestions for OUA, um, the the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. So it was the battle between Carlton, Laurier, and who's the other team? Waterloo. Yeah. So if Laurier beat Carlton, they make the playoffs flat out. Mm-hmm. If Laurier loses to Carlton by 17 or less, they don't make the playoffs. If Laurier loses to Carlton by 17 or more or 18 points. And Waterloo loses, and, which and, they did. And Waterloo loses, which they did. They make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So my, my big question the whole season was um, Waterloo had lost. Yes. They lost the game. Uh, Laurier was down by 12 points with 39 seconds left. Carlton, Carlton had the ball at the 50 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Would you just let them score and make the playoffs? Yeah. So I, a lot of people said, oh, no, that's, there's no pride in that. You know, you lose. But I'm like, either way, you're out of the playoffs. Either way, you lose. Why not, why not fight to see another day? So actually, I did know about that stats. When I was watching the game, uh, I did know that if they lost by a certain amount, they would make the playoffs. And we actually talked about it. And everyone I talked to would they would have let them score. Yeah, because you look at <laughs> you look at you let you're them score. You let the, way, you're you're losing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you let them score one more touchdown. You're in the playoffs now. Now you're yeah. fighting for Yates Cup. And then once you're in the playoffs, it's a different beast. Man, anything can happen. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen exactly. So you're getting your foot in the door, and then now you can make something happen. But yeah, I would let them score. Yeah, like 100. <laughs> percent Like you got. Like I mean, to like it's basically: Do you want a playoff berth or do you want to win a regular season game? Like, they wouldn't even have won. They yeah, would have lost, yeah. yeah. lost by 12 instead of 18. Like, you got to swallow your pride at that point and just, you know, let them score. I mean, I'm excited when I actually talk to Lori to see what they say. But yeah. <laughs> but anyway, how would, you, how would you improve, you know, the production um, of OUA? My biggest thing probably would be that you, you said, like, the, yeah. the schedules. Like, I love night games. We actually the, – the, our season came out, so we have three night games away. We have Laurier, Waterloo, and Any, like, Friday York. Day, any Friday games? No Friday night games. This year coming might up. Might honestly, York could be a Friday night. You don't know. Last year we went to a Friday night. Um, the one right before Thanksgiving. I I love Friday night lights games just because like fans would go would rather go to a Friday night game like Friday night lights. It's yeah. It's one of the most known things in football. <laughs> yeah. Friday night lights and it's just like the fans. It's a great at- atmosphere. Night games like I personally enjoy them. I wasn't able to play. We had our first night game in how many years? Yeah like this past season and I wasn't able to play in it and like the atmosphere here was like it was crazy and then so yeah I personally love a night game and like I think we, it should be spread out more like the one four seven each week yeah switch it up I mean it's I, probably never gonna happen but it's a dream <laughs> yeah yeah like I agree like I, I love playing at night games always have but like that's the thing like I said before with the getting people here like unless it's on a Friday or a Sunday right then you're probably not gonna get the crowd yeah. you want so like our game was on a Sunday this year when we had our night game against York, so we got yeah, yeah, so we got like a pretty good you know community uh, showing. I don't know. And most teams who come here, they stay the night. Yeah. So York came Saturday, stayed here all day because like traveling is just like even like what he said about traveling and like leaving early. Um, if we don't stay over, we they should be able to push a game back to four p.m. for us. Like if we're traveling to Toronto, four hours. Let us if you go to Ottawa. If we're on Ottawa, <laughs> we're on Ottawa. We're 100 percent staying over. But yeah, if we're going to Toronto, we don't need to stay over. No, like it's yeah. a four-hour drive. Like we don't. But we can push the game back to four o'clock. Yeah, totally sick. Anyone do. at all. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, because obviously you have that long travel um, schedule just got released. Is there any game you've already printed up, circled on your calendar, that you're just ready to get back at it, face them? Well, for me, it's Waterloo, yeah. because 
you know, uh, when they were 0-8, like a couple years in a row, and then uh, Trey Ford signed there, we gave them, like, their first win in the Bertoia era, like, on our home field. And, like, we were winning, and, like, they came back to beat us. And that left a salty taste in my mouth. Then uh, we go back the next year and just, like, we lost again. And then this year, that whole, uh, they kick a field goal in the last play of the game, you know, to win. So, obviously, like, I know we can beat Waterloo. Yeah. And every year it's been, yeah, you like, guys play them tough. Yeah, like, it's always A lot closed. tougher than a lot of these teams do. Yeah, and then it just, they just seem to come out on top in the end. So, that one for me, I, I cannot wait to play against Waterloo again. I mean, me, I've never really played against Waterloo. Like, I took over halfway through my first year. Didn't really play much. Played like a quarter and a half. We were already we were already blown out at that point. But personally, I've got every every game scheduled, like circled. The I comeback. Mean, yeah, it's <laughs> it's my it's my job to show the league that I can play. And um, every game's important, no matter what team it is, what record they have. We need to win every game, and we're gonna show that we can win games. And like every game's important, no matter what team or where it is. Well, given how competitive the OUA has become in the last few years, and for our sake, it's been an absolute pleasure watching and uh, being able to cover it for you guys. Obviously, each game becomes that much more important because it's, you can't slide in with a 4-4 four and four record, or yeah. maybe someone did slide with a 4-4 four four record, but it's a lot tougher to get in just 500. you got to be competitive every single game and can't take anything lightly. Um, so to, uh, not to speak uh, for Dakota, but I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be watching your games very closely. We're very excited from the things you guys are saying, and uh, we wish both of you the best of luck in this upcoming season. All right. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks you for having us. Once again, that was C.J. Church and Cole Verlind of the University of Windsor Lancers. The biggest thing for me, Dakota, that jumped out is hearing them talk about the culture there with the Sir Sellies in, and despite a couple seasons now of... of you know, non-playoff football and out the strongest records. I I really do believe that these guys are really bought into the system. Uh, clearly, a testament of what the Cercellis have brought into the fold there at Windsor. I think. No, oh, it's 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 great to see. Um, I think the only unfortunate thing about sitting down with all these teams is now you kind of want all of them to win, and really only only one can. But you know, I think it's the same thing uh, that we've been saying for the whole last season is that Windsor is definitely going to be a strong team in the years to come. And the fact that the players, at least the ones that we've talked to, seem to have bought in to uh, the system that the Cicellers are bringing just goes to show that, you know, the sky's the limit for them right now. Yeah, I know we talked about them and Queens and UFT as the teams that are kind of building towards the future and are in good spots. And interesting, too, with CJ in particular, and we get a bit of this angle with Alex Bournet in, in the upcoming interview the angle of uh, Essex region or Windsor region guys sticking as opposed to, as we've seen in the past, a lot of them heading down to London and kind of taking pride in their city, in their school. So once again, kind of showing that they do or they can see that there is something building there that they're, they're going to be a part of. No, yeah, Windsor's definitely doing something a lot better than U of T is doing right right now, and that's just keeping hometown talent at home. Uh, that's my new narrative going to season three is U of T wire players leaving. But uh, no, just stick on the positives there. It, it's great always to see no matter where they're from, kids staying at home. If you know, if they obviously if they want to stay at yeah. home and, and be close to home, and I'm I'm happy that Windsor can kind of keep those kids in the area because obviously you know other schools are a little more tempting right now than Windsor is. And there's obviously a ton of talent in that region, so being able to keep those guys is paramount, more than, of course, just the pride of being able to keep guys in their own backyard. But as we set up, our next interview is with one Alex Bournet, also from the Essex region, and as well with wide receiver transfer Chris Osikusi. Chris spent his four-year career at the University of Queens, and then after graduating, went to Windsor, where he is now in the law program there, and in his first year of law, also played for the football team, which is a light workload. Yeah, you know, just and, and somewhere in between all that, spent some time with the Cleveland Browns and the Montreal Alouettes. And I, I, yeah, he's you, look, you, we're busy too, all right? We're, <laughs> we're not trying to brag. He's know. trying to steal all the shine. Um, really interesting talking with both these guys and the dynamic of once again a veteran receiver and a younger receiver getting to learn from him. But you'll hear them talk about all that. So here's the interview. Alex Bournet and Chris Osikusi. Continuing with our off-season walkthrough tour here at the University of Windsor, we're now joined by wide receivers Alex Bournet and Chris Osikusi. Thank you guys for joining us here. Glad to be here. You guys, yeah, thanks for having us. Well, thank you guys for having us. Uh, so you guys just came from a, a workout, right? Throwing the ball around. So what was it? What were we doing? Uh, just getting some catching in. Yeah. Uh, 
with the guys, the receiver group, just keeping the hands fresh and uh, continuing to get better for next year. Now was, uh, was was Sam there? Because he's been he's been dodging us for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was there throwing a little we, bit. We yeah. reached out and he said, oh, "I don't do podcasts." Is he like a big you know celebrity on also, campus? Also, also. <laughs> <laughs> you got this covered. Next question. <laughs> All right. Uh, he's not a big vocal guy. I think would be the thing. So he doesn't love to do the talking and the media stuff. And also, I've, we have no hate. He's actually one of our most underrated quarterbacks. But it was just surprising that he's like, no, I don't do podcasts. Yeah, no, so getting into this past year, Alex, you missed it with the shoulder, right? Yeah. And then so for you, Chris, coming in from Queens, uh, we have a lot of questions about you know coming in for the law school and everything with yeah, that. For sure. um, just for the two of you, what was the dynamic like? Chris obviously had you know, four years of experience with Queens coming in here. Alex, you have a bit of a, a, a young team here. Just in terms of a veteran presence coming into this team and specifically as receivers, you know, how was it like transitioning here and what kind of stuff did you learn from Chris despite being on the sideline for the year? I think having a guy like Chris here was incredible for the whole group. I know for me specifically, I was seeing the game from a different perspective, being in the booth and stuff like that, as opposed to being a player in the game. And having a guy like Chris, it has an impact on you, not only just as a football player, but as a person. He's somebody who's incredibly driven and he shows you what you need to do to be the best, right? We're talking about a guy who is good academically as well as good on the field. And it's more than just like, we see the big plays, we see the catches, we see the athlete, but it's the little things, the details, how he, He's the guy who's catching balls after practice. You know what I mean? We're, we're putting in more work when you think like a guy like that, maybe he doesn't need to work as hard. He's still working the hardest on the team. And the thing that I noticed too, just from watching him play from that angle was like the difference in him like as a blocker, like the impact he could make when he's not getting the ball. That's where he like really separates himself. Yeah, we always see the big catches, we see the stats, but those were the little things that I was like, you know, that's the type of stuff I need to implement more into my game, focus more on that. And then obviously just like he takes his education very seriously and he's just a professional in all aspects really. And so for Chris, <laughs> for yourself coming into this team, you know, as a bit of a young team coming off of, uh, uh, you know, probably a less than a bit of a disappointing season. What was your mentality coming here and uh, taking on a leadership role? I think that's exactly it, right? I wanted to come in and be a leader and kind of show guys who kind of wanted to get to the next level kind of what it took. And I kind of took that responsibility on myself. And when I got in here, obviously being a newer player to the team, like you never know how a team's going to receive you. But what I felt what was good about this team and even especially the receiver group, they kind of took me in right away. Like some of them even messaged me beforehand on Instagram. Hey, I hear you're coming to Windsor. Like I'm just excited to have you. I'm excited to work with you. And I think it just helped build that team dynamic, right? Like I didn't really feel like an outcast. About like a couple of days in, I was already pretty good friends. We were going over to Detroit, grabbing Shake Shack, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a pretty good experience for sure. So now talking about the role of, you know, older players or just being able to learn from others' experiences, Chris. Uh, once again, directing this towards you, you've had some time now with working with some professional teams, yeah. uh, both on our side of the border and across uh, in Cleveland. What was uh, your experiences like? With those, uh, with Montreal and with Cleveland, and uh, what did you, what were you able to learn from those to take back to the OUA? I think the biggest experience that I was able to take from is just the meticulous detail, because like I kind of said before, when you get to that level, everyone's a good athlete, right? Like if you're there, it's obviously because you're one, you're pretty good at football, and two, you're probably pretty good athletically, and what separates you and allows you to kind of stay at that level is the detail, and I think. This year, I was able to implement that a bit more because um, I wasn't playing. I was playing multiple positions on this team out there on the receiver position, and I think that helped me because you really it forces you to understand the playbook even more. Right? And I think just being in, with the Alouettes or being with the Browns, especially with the Browns, we had like a day, two days to learn like playbook this big. You know what I mean? Like they don't give you much time. They kind of slap you a playbook and say, "All right, make sure you know it tomorrow morning." And you're like, <laughs> all right, you know, so I remember me and my roommate were literally staying, we're up until like 2 a.m. looking through these playbooks, like testing each other because we have to be ready for tomorrow. And I think that's kind of what I brought here is just a matter of not only knowing your spot as a receiver, but you become even more valuable when you can learn multiple different spots. And I think that's the biggest thing that I took from both of those, both of those camps. So obviously we'll, we'll dive deeper into the school in a second, but just, just a one-off question. 
What do you think was tougher or maybe more stressful, studying for the LSATs or learning the <laughs> Cleveland Browns playbook? <laughs> Damn, that's a good question. <laughs> um, to be honest, I would say studying for the LSAT. No, yeah, I've, I've no. Done, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the LSAT's a crazy test. And, like, eventually, like, with the playbook, you kind of learn different rhythms and different patterns to kind of make you kind of remember what play. And you can kind of combine this play. Oh, this looks similar to what I did at Queens. You know what I mean? It just has a different name. With the LSAT, it's a whole new ball game every question. You know? <laughs> I, think, I think those books are heavy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, Alex, uh, you're from the Essex region, right? And we were talking with CJ about this beforehand as well with some of the reputation perhaps of guys from this area, the Windsor area, going to other schools like London, for example, where it's you know kind of close, but uh, you know still kind of close to home. Um, what's your take on the importance for guys around this area? Because we both played OVFL back in the day. Essex Ravens were always one of the top teams and every year you're gonna see guys from this area on many teams having a lot of success. So what's the importance for you of being from this area, being at Windsor, and, and what's your message perhaps to some kids right now in high school or growing up in the area about coming to Windsor? Uh, I think that Windsor's a very talented football city, and uh, it, it kind of it, it does stick with you a bit having uh, you know been one of the teams that isn't necessarily maybe carrying the weight of the city. But I think there'd be nothing more special to me than having uh, a team here in Windsor just build up and uh, start being a very successful and competitive team. It'd be a lot of fun. And this is a city that, you know, they're a bit tough loving when things aren't going great. <laughs> you, you know, their support is a little bit tough to take it. Sometimes they're a little bit hard on you. But it's a city that when when you're winning, there's no better city to be winning in. Lots of people love to come out and support you and show that love. So now we mentioned uh, his name earlier, your quarterback, Sam Gerard, And we've both been on this take for a little while uh, that he may very well be the most underrated quarterback in uh, in Ontario and, and probably a good chance in all of Canada. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your pivot there, Mr. Gerard? I'll take this, yeah, <laughs> I'll take this one. Uh I, I agree with you. I think he's somebody that's a little bit overlooked. I, I love Sammy. He always finds a way to find you when you're open. He's one of those guys, he, he tends to, you know, find a way to limit the mistakes. And he's, he's a guy that, as much as he's not overly vocal, he always seems very in control. Uh, when he comes into the huddle and gives you the play, you, you trust him. You're never questioning whether he's what he's going to do and all that stuff. And as a receiver, he's somebody that is very accurate, delivers the ball, and you trust him. You know he's not going to get you killed. He's he's going to take care of you, and he's going to make the right decision at the right times. And I'll just add on to that, like, so being an older receiver in this league and being able to play for different teams and East West and things like that. I played with like Merchant, Hunchak, Hobbs, Trey Ford. I played with all those guys, and when I would come to practice, like Sam's not too far off. But the problem is obviously he's on a team that doesn't win, so you're you're uh, you're not really getting that recognition, right? And like we had a pretty good chemistry. Me just coming in and training with him for a couple of weeks, and I was even with like before I got here, like I was on pace to average like the most receiving yards I've ever did, and that's just because he would always seem to find me and put the ball in the right spot at the right time. So like I've got a lot of respect for him. I tell him all the time. I think he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks, and comparing him to guys who are more heralded and guys who are maybe more known around the league, he's pretty close, if not better than some of them. So like I've got a lot of respect for him for sure. So keeping with the subject of other players in the league that you may have played with or just keeping tabs on. We've been asking everyone we've sat down with something similar to this. Um, are there any guys that, pardon me, either at your position or just anywhere in general across the league that you really enjoy watching or that you're just keeping in touch with just to kind of see what they're doing week by week or when the season's done? Uh, I think for me, the people I'm keeping most tabs on would be the receivers. Um, just because you know, you always want to be like the top guy. And I kind of watch to see, you know, who's doing what, how they're doing, stuff like that. You watch them on film and you like to compare yourself and you're obviously trying to be the best. And 
uh, a guy like Tyler Ternowski. I know, like, the the game a couple of years ago in Waterloo was pretty crazy, just seeing what he was doing, and you're trying to keep up with him, and it's hard. And um, there's other guys around the league, uh, like Brenton Hall. He's always near the top of the stat sheets. Guys like that. There's this guy, Chris Osikusi, too. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of him. He's he's all right. Should, he, we should try and get him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah he'd, be a decent, he'd be a decent guy to talk to. Um, yeah, but guys like that who, you know, you see and you kind of try and find, like, what separates them from, you know, the rest of the pack. And you try and chase them. Sometimes it's pretty hard to get up there <laughs> with them. And uh, obviously just trying to compete with them because they're the guys that are at the top, right? They're the guys that you want to that you wanna outwork and outdo, right? Chris, how about you? Um, this season I'd probably have to say it was those two Toronto receivers. Uh, Corby and uh, Lovegrove, Lovegrove. Yeah. I'd probably say those two guys because they were just putting up like that. We played them that one <laughs> <Yeah>. game <laughs> yeah, against that was. Toronto. We don't. We, we won't talk about <laughs> yeah. your game against <laughs> no. Toronto. We won't. And you know, like, b- before the season, like, I didn't really know like who those guys were. Like I knew of Corby a bit because I you played, played with his Doug, brother. Right? Yeah. yeah, but like I never heard of Lovegrove. And we're playing these guys. We're like. <laughs> Did they just score again? You know what like I mean? 80 yard, yeah, yard. and like these are like not like ten yard touchdowns. These are like 50, 60. You're like, what? Who the hell are these guys? <laughs> so after the game, it's you kind of like like I looked them up. I was like kind of look at their numbers. Like, oh, these guys have a pretty good year. And I guess yeah, I kind of spent some time like kind of following them just to like, see what they would do because like I was pretty impressed with what they did against us. So maybe those two guys. Yeah, they did have great seasons. Almost identical numbers. They yeah, put up literally. Just under 900, yeah. Well, eight touchdowns. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. About 97 a game. Not a bad system either. Yeah. <laughs> bombs away. Yeah, bombs <laughs> away. That I, it looked, <laughs> it looked it's fun. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah, oh, literally. That's, that's an older it looked literally. like a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to run a fly, but you're actually going to throw it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst thing is running a fly, and you know what's going to the slot. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. got the clear route. All of a sudden, the clear route's coming to you. It looked like it looked like a lot of fun. Uh, so Chris, uh, a little bit about your your transfer here at Windsor. Yeah. Um, so obviously you're you're in the law program here. Yeah. Um, but Queens also has a law program. Yeah. So what was in particular about Windsor's program that you wanted to come here as opposed to either staying at Queens or maybe trying another school out? Well, f- for, to be honest, I didn't get accepted to Queens's law program. Otherwise, I probably would have went there. Other than after that, like I wasn't really. I didn't necessarily care about which law program I went to. It was just a matter of who would be who would allow me to play in the CFL and do law school at the same time. And when I kind of reached out to some of the schools that I was either waitlisted or accepted to, like the next day Windsor had emailed me back and they booked an appointment for me to talk to the dean. And I just felt that they really understood like what I was trying to do. They even like connected me with some alumni. And this is before I even told them I was coming, right? And that kind of loyalty you can't really buy. And I feel like the fact that they were so willing to help me before I even told them that I was coming to their school, it just it, it made it an easier decision. And after I realized that I was probably going to head back and um, start my law school off, I already knew I was coming to Windsor. It was just a matter of, if, um, it was, like, the football was a little bit separate, but I knew for sure, like, I was going to come and go to the Windsor Law School for sure. So on that note, I played at Guelph for five years, nice little undergraduate degree in philosophy, and I had my fair share of just sleepless nights reading through you know, any, any number of texts or whatever, and then trying to still balance a football life. Mm. So I, I have no real other way of saying this other than just, how in hell? Because <laughs> I have friends who've done now their first and then upper years in law, yeah. and they all say the first year is the worst. Ridiculous. Yeah. How the hell did you pull this off? I still wonder sometimes. (laughs) But no, it's not for the faint of heart, for sure. And I was, like, getting up early to come to um, morning meetings. Then you'd have to go to class. Then I'd be in class till 4 and then come to practice. Then go to film after practice. Then do some readings and do it all over again. And, man, it was was difficult. But it's one of those things where I'm going to be able to look back at this time, even now or even from two years from now, and be like, I'm better for that situation. And even the year before that, in that fall, like, I needed to get, like, a 4.0 GPA. I needed to do the LSAT. I was playing in season. And I was like, man, I'm never going to get through this. And then it got even harder the next year, right? So it's just one of those things that you look back on three, four years from now, and you're like, damn, I'm glad I did that because nothing worth having comes easy, right? And this is exactly what it is. Like, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a professional athlete. And I wanted to play with these guys on the football team, and I genuinely enjoyed it. So it was, I definitely wouldn't recommend it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> But if you feel like you can handle it, it's definitely a challenge, but it's, it'll be worth your time. Now, were there ever times that maybe you're on the football field, we'll call it practice, or even in a game, and 
you found yourself maybe arguing with the ref, but like debating as if you were in court. <laughs> he does that to us all the time. <laughs> all the time. You can't have just a normal argument because you, you argue with him and he's bringing up something you said three weeks ago. He's like, that won't stand up in the court of law. We're in the locker room. So it's like, no, that's, that's, that's all hearsay. It's like, no, I know, I know maybe it was a penalty, but like, I didn't have the men, the, the men's yeah. wasn't there. So like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't, you can't, you shouldn't really flag me for that one. <laughs> no, I think, honestly, he hit the nail right on the head. Like, we'll be arguing in the locker room and it'll be about like just stupid stuff and just stuff that comes up when you're on bus trips or road trips or eating at dinner and i really take the time to analyze it be like no but last week you said it but they be like man i'm not arguing with a lawyer man i'm not I'm just not gonna do we, it we argued over dinner once for the entire dinner we're at a table we're at a table of like there's like 10 of us we're on a road trip and we're having our dinner and me and him argue like it was to the point where the table was like you know what like we don't care. It would be way better for everybody if you guys would just leave everything. Else. Like it was just one of those things, and we're like going back and forth. I'm like, man, I don't want to argue. With you. And then he wouldn't like he he's like he wouldn't stop until like I would literally say like, no, I was wrong. You were right. Like if, if, if it makes you feel any better, when I when I was playing, uh, one of the backup quarterbacks, Blake Huggins, uh, is a very close friend of mine. So we were both, you know, on our way trying to go into law school. So every one of our arguments will always end up like that. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's what bringing back is. all the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> In Exhibit A, you said receipts. Yeah. I have them right here. He's you remember when you said he asked you like, "Oh, so how would you define that?" Yeah. I don't know. Like, and that's the thing. Like, once you're in law school or you want to be a lawyer, you kind of enjoy those debates. You know, like it's a little bit intellectually stimulating. So it never hurts to like sharpen the tools in your toolbox yeah. and just have one of those fun debates because there's obviously no malice between it. But when we sit down and do it, of course, you know, it gets a little fire. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you don't want to lose yeah. it. Yeah, you don't want to lose it. Whatever it's like, what do we want to eat? It's like, yeah. Yeah. lose it. Yeah, that's, then, that's the issue. It's like, I wasn't trying to be a lawyer, but I also, I'm not, I, just I don't like losing pizza. very much. I'm trying to eat my meal, but at the same time, I'm not losing this I argument. Said, I said, do you want pineapples on it or not? That's all I asked you. And then afterwards, you'll be like, <laughs> all right you got you got me yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on <laughs> uh so this is for both of you um we were talking with uh, cole and cj a little bit about this and asked some of the other guys we've interviewed um what kind of changes would you guys like to see if you say you could be oua commissioner i don't think such a title exists but theoretically if you could be OU, oua commissioner for a day and just put in one change whether it's in terms of the media product the way games are scheduled whatever you could think of are what we, would be the are we talking like no budget fantasy yeah let's, let's go all right, all right, let's, all right. we'll do that one do first. yeah start yeah start <laughs> so yeah. no budget wise i'd like it like a national schedule i think would be cool where you play like yeah. say like six games like we switch to a 10 game schedule you play like six in conference and then Four, like How many AUS games do you want? <laughs> Just to pad the schedule. <laughs> do they have four teams? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so, like, and then you can kind of get, I think that way you get a little bit more of the the uh, competition a bit. I know the competition in the OUA is ramping up, but it's the same, you know, nationally. And it would be cool to, you know, in season see some of those matchups that we get to see very, very rarely. And, you know, you do a couple long road trips with your team out west or to the AUS or up to the West. God, I fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not road I mean, trips. But I mean, your road trips some in travel. general is yeah. far. They're yeah. already bad enough. Imagine yeah, like a some, whole day. Some travel. But get some, yeah. get some guys, too, coming in here and you see some of the competition from out there that you don't really get a chance to hear about or see until kind of the end of the year. I think that would be a, a cool thing. And then you get, like, a – bit different playoff layout maybe for the national championship as opposed to it just being the conference winners but that's I know financially can be tough yeah. to be flying a bunch <laughs> of teams around all the time yeah so. I'm sure logistically it's that'd be tough a enough to get a hotel for the so <laughs> yeah true what about you Chris uh so this is funny that you guys talk about I tell my friends all the time like one day I'm going to be the CFL commissioner <laughs> one day I'm gonna, look out so, Randy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about this stuff and I think one of the biggest things for me is just the media, right? Because people can't support something they can't see. And I remember when I was growing up, I would be able to flip the game on and watch Queens versus yeah. Weston. And Back on the score. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. my brother was yeah. playing for Weston, and I was like, who the heck is this goal team that's kicking Westerns out? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I always had that vision in the back of my mind that, like, the media matters, right? And is that why I went to Queens? I'm not sure, but I know so I always remember watching them on TV. And you look at, like, the big NCAA programs, like, there's so much media that goes into that, which allows it to become 
this big thing that has an influx of resources and it's it's able it's able to become that because it's very it's very supported so i shouldn't be able to turn on my canadian network tsn sportsnet and if two games i understand obviously like it's a business of making money so that's why they're gonna want to show alabama was clemson but there should be at least something there should be youth sports games on tv like you should have kids watching that and thinking you know what one day i want to get there you know because if we're setting the pipeline and we're sending all our best players to the ncaa every single time which obviously i understand it like you want to have a bigger platform for yourself it's just a matter of creating that platform in canada like that one there's good players here and two we're proud of them you know we're going to show that so I feel like there's got to be a bit of a more of a national pride in regards to showing our players and our networks because that's the way you build any program, right? It's got to have that, that requisite exposure. And I feel like before anything of substance was going to happen, you kind of need to have that media attention first. Like there should, like, and I think there's like a, that U Sports fantasy thing on yeah. Instagram was actually, well, you know, it was pretty cool. And I think stuff like that is just gets more people to pay attention to U Sports, right? And without that it's you can't you don't really know what's there if nobody is talking about it it's just kind of something that's happening so the best way to grow it i think is just to increase media attention throughout not even just in season but even in the off season too like a guy signs or there's a transfer like that should be news that is all over the place and got and it's, it should be similar to what it is in the ncaa so i think we definitely have a model to follow it's just about putting that into effect and it should get some guys like traveling on terror in a podcast or yeah, something. You know, that was, <laughs> yeah. those guys. exactly well i mean on, on that subject though i mean every year watching the panda like that's it's super enjoyable and you know it's it's lucky that a lot of the time those are good games too obviously helps but to your point about the media exposure feeding sort of the way you consume the game and kind of this cycle it it looks good because it literally looks good mm-hmm. you know there's so many streams from and i think London's one of the worst ones trying to stream their games. Where oh, it, yeah. It's a joke. It, it, yeah, it looks like they're trying to film it on potato. So, I mean, <laughs> 100%. Uh, 100. But I think that's exactly it because you see the Panda game, you see how they market the Panda game, and then you see the turnout, right? Mm-hmm. And even at Queens, like anytime we played Western, it could be rain, it could be snow, it could be sleet, like anything, we'd always have a full. And we had a pretty big stadium at Queens. When we played Western, that stadium was the fullest it was ever going to be because they marketed that rivalry, right? And if you, you, it's good to market, obviously, the big rivalry games you want people to show up to, but you, I feel like if you keep that consistent throughout the season, you're just increasing your fan base, right? And that's never a bad thing. No, definitely. Um, so just kind of switching up a little bit, um, my background, I, I now coach uh, youth football for the Topical Eagles. Mm-hmm. I guess it would be is it OF, OVFL. OVF. Yeah, oh, they, they change, change the league every year. Yeah. Um, and, and recently it was, you know, the Bell Let's Talk Day, so I, I messaged a bunch of them, and I was just saying, you know, it's important, obviously, to be able to – to reach out if you want to, but also uh, break the stigma of you just just being identifying as your as a football player because football ends. Um, you know, either you retire or you have you know you guys got injuries and it can end at any point. So if you're thinking you're always a football player, then when it's over, it's kind of done. And I just kind of want to obviously you have you know the switch mentality going yeah. on. And if you could just speak about the importance of you know you're not just this athlete, you're more mm-hmm. than that. Yeah, and I think that's I think you hit the nail right in the head when you said that. And the problem is when guys kind of exert all their energy into football or whatever sport it may be, once that sport is over with, you lose yourself, right? Like you've spent how many how many years, whether it's three, four, five, focusing on football, and football has kind of been the main decision-making in regards to like how you made your decision. Like it's kind of been the, the, the constant. And I feel like once, if you kind of focus all your decisions on football and all your decisions are predicated on football, if you take away that from, if you take away football from your life, you're kind of lost because you just spent this many years like focusing on football. So I think for me, and that's why I started like switch mentality. The biggest thing is to not only like reinforce the message to guys that obviously like they're more than an athlete and their identity can be more than a football player, but just trying to show them that this sport, like any other sport, it ends. And a lot of the times you don't really know when your last nap is going to be like some of the few lucky guys get to pick when your last nap is, but especially once you get to like the professional um, athlete level, it could, they could, you can just put you out a team where a guy doesn't like you and that's it. You're done. Yeah. Crazy politics. It, literally. And right. And you see that sometimes in new sports, but I feel like the, the, the quicker you can kind of prepare for life after football, the better you'll be because it'll be a smoother transition. Right. And it's, definitely going to be a difficult transition no matter how much you prepare 
but I think it can be an easier transition if you start preparing sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I, I definitely think I may, may have a bias here just because I love football so much, but football is kind of like the one sport, and you guys correct, correct me if I'm wrong, that kind of once you're done, you're done. Like, I play yeah. beer league hockey against 65-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I can't go – like, I'm I'm 27 now, and I'm, I know I'm never going to put pads on ever again. Yeah. Like, soccer you can keep playing, baseball you keep playing, but, like, football kind of – once you retire and you're like, okay, I can't really go pros or like maybe I'll do the NFC beer league sort of thing. That's kind of it. You're, you're not playing past 30 unless you're in the pros really. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think it's the, the toughest. I know when I, when I stopped playing, it was, and I'm sure I hope you guys never experienced it, but just having that realization that, oh shit, this is done. This huge chunk of my life that for eight months of the year, that's all I did. It's done. And now what that, that now it's, so I, I applaud the fact that you're posting these videos i hope you get more exposure on that sure do. Uh, i'll definitely At start switch my mentality i'll definitely start saying to some of my athletes yeah, but it's no, important to, sure. to start early to being like hey guys there's more than just this and i know coaches are always like academics are important but like man they they are even if it's not academics something else don't exactly be, yeah be someone that plays football don't be a football player yeah exactly. use yeah. jp coach jp he always says to us use football don't let football use you Beautiful. and yeah. basically getting the message across like you can use football to get you uh, to university level, get that degree, take care of that business because at some point football will be done. Don't get too sucked into it. Don't just be a football player. Use football to propel you as a person. Well, I'm, I'm always hearing coaches now that we've sat down with a couple of schools that coaches say the 40-year plan instead of the four-year plan. Yeah. So, like, if you're going into a school, what's your 40-year plan? I don't care exactly. about these four years that you're going to classes and playing ball. What's your 40? And is this, is this school actually going to help you for the rest of your mm-hmm. life? And that's the thing that – it's difficult to kind of tell a 17, 18 year old kid, you got to think yeah. 10 I years mean, ahead. I would, you know I wouldn't I mean? yeah. If you told me, <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly it, right? Like, if you told me at 17, hey, by the way, you're going to get drafted, I'll be like, okay, yeah, cool. They'll be like, oh, you're also going to be in law school. I'd be like, what? School. Like that. Yeah, what, are you, what are you talking about? No, no, no. I'll, maybe after, but like, no, I'm, the, I'm focused on getting to the league. Yeah. And I think going through that experience and having guys, like, even like your guys, yourself, that played the game and realized that there's other things out there we kind of had to like go through those bumpy ride in order to show the younger generation, like, look, I'm trying to save you from this bumpy ride. It's yeah. going to be bumpy, but let me at least get you a seatbelt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let me get you <laughs> yeah. something to make it a smoother yeah. ride. And I think that's exactly it. And there's kids that are still obviously going to tell us to fuck off and not listen. Absolutely. But, you know, it's one of those like helping like one or two kids. So, and, that's yeah. the, like, and I always say you can bring a horse to the water, but you can't yeah. make him drink, you know? So. And I think getting the message out to you start hearing it, you know, from that young age of maybe 16. And then by the time, you know, you get a little bit older, start getting into your 20s, it starts to really resonate with you as you do go through more stuff in football. You mature a little bit. Because I know me as a 16-year-old, I didn't want to hear, oh, like, make sure you got your life figured out. I'm like, well, all, all coaches ever say I'll is, it man, out. it really sucks when you can't stop playing football. And you're like, shut up, old man. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you really want. <laughs> yeah, Literally. I'm, I'm 16. Football's yeah. never yeah. leaving me. My body's fine. I've had and no issues. Next thing you know, you're sitting on the sideline for a season and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> this this might end. There's a chance, you know. Well, then for you, Alex, having now spent a year with Chris, how important is it getting that message? Because as Dakota said, every coach at some point has been like, you know, you have to think about afterwards, and you know, you never know when it's going to end. But getting that message from a player who's still with you, being like, think about what is going to happen next. Does that have more sticking power? Do you think coming from a guy like Chris versus just like every yeah. coach you've ever had? Yeah. Well, I think the, <laughs> I think the crazy thing is right is as opposed to hearing it really seeing it right he's putting that plan into action he like we I've talked to him I've you know we've sat down a bit and just been like hey like kind of what was like you know the the chess move you're making here with like the law school and all that and he explained like this is good for me because I can get law school started and then you know I can you know do my professional football career and take care of the law school as as I go and all that and like seeing somebody that focused and meticulous on what he wants to do and what he wants to achieve it's contagious, right? We talk about like a conta- your attitude's contagious. If you're lazy, that's contagious. If you're working hard, that's contagious. But being around somebody who is really focused on that, he believes in th- what we preach to, you know, y- have football be something that propels you in life, and he's a walking example of that. So for me to see it, I, I understand, like, hey, you know, like this is what, you know, my hard work can do, and just putting, you know, the time into school and all that too. You see him do it, so you know you got you got you gotta follow suit, right? So we actually just scheduled this just to boost your ego. For yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I speak highly of Chris, but he he earns it. Like, <laughs> well, know. I'll say this though: like 
This so the thing about AB that a lot of people won't know. So what people do know is that he's a hard worker and whatnot, and you see it on the field, right? Like he puts up those games, and you know he works hard and he deserves what comes to him. But I think the hardest part of being an athlete is when they tell you at the beginning of the season that you won't have a season, and you're injured, you're done for the year, and you're going to be um, helping whether it be coach or film or whatnot. And for a lot of guys, that's a, I know even for myself, that'd be like, oh my, like, just walk if away. I'm done for the season, yeah. like what, like I can't, mm-hmm. it's maybe I should focus more on school, you know what I mean? And one thing AB did that to me is something that I always kind of see him in a higher light is not only did he help coach the receivers and quarterbacks and sit in all their meetings and sit in every single meeting and help out and throw balls to us at practice, he actually took notes as if he was still playing. So you would go look at his playbook and you're like, you know you're not up this week, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you'd flip through it and you'd be like, oh, like his notes are better than some guys who are playing this year, you know what I mean? So that's one thing that I always commend him on because that's the stuff that translates, right? If you can do it when you're hurt, imagine his notes when next year when he's actually in the film and playing, right? So I think he's a guy that's going to be ready for a big season next year and I won't be surprised to see him take over that number one row. <laughs> Clearly, your impact here has been very well felt, I'm sure, by more players than just Alex. But uh, clearly, from everything you guys have said, it's been a great experience with you coming here for not just yourself, but for all these guys. And uh, to speak for Dakota as well, we're very excited to see what you guys can do next year in, as we said, a very competitive OUA. But from everyone we've talked to so far here, you guys have the right infrastructure, the right mentality, and the right attitude to go out there and, and surprise some people. Um, and we're totally looking forward to it. So, Alex, Chris, thank you guys so Appreciate much for it. sitting down with us today. Yeah, no yeah, worries. Thanks thank for you having guys. us. Once again, that was Alex Bournet and Chris Osikusi, wide receivers for the University of Windsor. As we kind of set up going into that interview, really neat seeing the dynamic that these two guys share. Obviously, and you can attest this as a wide receiver, I think that it goes the same for any position. When you have two guys in the same locker room, you build that bond. But it really, I think, is a testament to the character of a guy like Chris where he was there for, I mean, barely even a year and just garnered the respect and the admiration of all these young guys. It clearly shows, and he talks about it, of, of just the, the example that he set for those young players. And it's going to be really exciting to see how they, moving forward, learn from their time with Osikusi, where his impact there, while he had a good season on the field, might end up being more in terms of what he did for some of these younger players. No, I, I think it's it's great, and I was very happy that we could get both, you know, uh, a vet and uh, a younger guy on the team. My biggest thing and why I enjoyed the interview so much is that it's kind of one of the main reasons I want to do this whole tour, which was showing the other side of players, actually getting to know the players outside of just, oh, you know, number two, number 80, number 88, or whatever, catching the ball and scoring a touchdown, showing who they are outside of the sport, I think, uh, you know, I don't think there's anyone uh, who does maybe more than Chris Osikusi does in the OUA right now as, you know, for academics and extracurriculars and sports and all everything like that. So I, I just really enjoyed the fact that we could, you know, sit down and not just I love talking football, but, you know, talk a little bit more football, and especially because, you know, obviously when I was in university too, law was a big focus of my degree. Um, so it was just a great time to sit down with, you know, a very intelligent young man. And as well, uh, sort of piggybacking on what you said, Chris's whole campaign's not the right word but his um the switch mentality the, the switch mentality that he does in just in terms of all those things that you said about knowing that yeah you're an athlete and that sports is a big part of your life but to kind of quote uh what Jacob Zott talked about when we were with McMaster and we've both reiterated this point because it's such a great point that uh I guess he learned from Potastic which is making 40-year decisions not just four-year decisions and I I can I don't think anyone embodies that better than Chris Osikusi and the work he's doing the work he's going to continue to do um yeah no it's just uh, an incredible young man and an example for you know anyone in, in any walk of life no matter what they're doing um so yeah that was honestly I I think I can speak for both of us this was surprisingly a, a lot of fun going to Windsor I think there was a lot of things up in the air when we went there we weren't sure how they were going to land but that that turned out excellent no, I was it was a great trip um Obviously, I, I feel like I had, you know, maybe a negative mindset going in there, but I want to contribute that to mainly the fact that we left here at like 6.30 <laughs> in the morning and Windsor is probably the furthest we're going to have to travel. Yeah. Um, you know, Ottawa is, is far too, but we're, we're doing the overnight. So I think, you know, I was I was very happy with, with the guys we got to talk to. Um, you know, they were very open and receptive to us and it was, yeah, it was just a great time. And if 
you were listening to the Guelph episode, you obviously would have heard us tee up that we were doing Windsor and Western. Unfortunately, the uh, stop in Windsor that we were playing, pardon me, the stop in Western in London, that is, we were planning to do on the way home from Windsor. Um, got a bit derailed, so we had to reschedule that. So the next episode you will hear after this one will be our time in Laurier and then followed by Waterloo. And uh, by the time those come out, we'll have, I think we'll finish the tour, but I'm not sure. At this point, I don't know uh, what day it is. I, I don't know what month so. it is. I, lo- I love doing this, but I'm, I'm, I'm beat. I'm tired. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll echo all the things you said um, just about how great those interviews was those interviews were sitting down with those guys and once again thank you to um to cj cole chris and alex for taking time out of their day and everyone at the university of windsor for setting that up um once again shout out to switch mentality what osikusi is doing there and uh, best of luck to him uh if you didn't hear the news he recently got an invite to uh or he got picked up by the alouettes signed again signed signed he's again. already trying to sign right right so you know best of luck to him moving forward with that and everything he's going to be doing uh on and off the field and and that goes for all those guys there but as we said next week it will be the laurier episode uh do we want to sneak preview who we're talking to there no no it's a confirmed no. no so you'll have to tune in next week to uh listen to that it was a great trip um down to laurier talking with some golden hawks um but that'll come out next week so for now thank you so much for tuning in make sure to share like subscribe hit us up on instagram twitter the youtube channel dakota's you know working his fingers to the bone because i'm sorry videos are coming out later right <laughs> he's killing himself getting all this great content out there but stay patient it will keep coming out the content machine just keeps on rolling uh so any last words before we send it off for now no i think we're good i think we're good there so we'll see you next week at the 55.